This is Talk of the Town on Magic 590 plus 100.5. I'm Bob Cudmore. Joining us is Chris Churchill, Albany Times Union columnist, news columnist for the Times Union. And we're recording this on Wednesday morning. I just thought I'd throw that in in that uh, we air on a different date or a later date, and we're going to talk about the election. And sometimes, even though the election's over, things change. Yeah, and we're just just now digesting the numbers and everything at this point. So, yeah. And in New York State, uh, I heard one line talking about the blue wave, mm-hmm. but nationally it was seen more as a blue ripple, some some said. Although, Yeah, it was th- probably a little disappointing for Democrats who hoped to see just this tidal wave of anti-Trump sentiment. That didn't really happen, although they did obviously take the House. Yep, they took but the- uh, lost seats in the Senate. Right, t- took the House, lost seats in the Senate, and it appears that um, you know President Trump um, might, uh, you know, as he is his custom oppose them in a very feisty way in the house it might you know give him another a new target for tweets yeah <laughs> that's a good point you know it's also possible he, he this could actually work out to trump's advantage i know democrats will hate to hear that but sometimes it's helpful to have a foil sometimes it's helpful yeah. and it's possible that democrats will go too far with investigations and impeachments and all that kind of stuff and it could you know we've seen in the past when when the house does that it, it tends to work in the president's favor mm-hmm. yeah. Now, in New York State, it was more of a blue wave. It was, yeah. Uh, starting at the top of the ticket, where uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, won a third term. Uh, but a- as far as we know, uh, he won a, the third term handily. But right here in the Capital District, with probably the exception of Albany County, he didn't do very well. No, it's the usual pattern where the downstate carries him to victory. Um, yeah, I took a quick look this morning, and it looked like he had lost pretty pretty significantly in every county but Albany County and that would be in this listening area. Um, but, you know, there was no surprise that he won. He had a huge financial advantage. He's a, you know, um, he's a controversial figure, yeah. especially up here. But, you know, I don't think anybody was surprised that he won. Well, you know what I, I sometimes think myself? That um, he uh, calls Trump a bully and, and probably Andrew Cuomo is perceived as a bully, but I think a lot of Democrats figure at least he's our bully. Yeah, they have their personalities are more similar than I think either one of them would like to admit, right? You know, mm-hmm. they're both bullies. You know, yeah, yellers maybe. You know, yeah. hotheads. Right. Queens, Queens guys, I guess. <laughs> I no offense to Queens. I don't know. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, so Cuomo won. As as far as we know, all of the statewide Democrat. Uh, Candidates won, uh, I believe. Yeah, Attorney yeah, General. Right. Yeah, the, the the Republican Party in New York State is really at a low point. I mean, they're they're really in just dreadful, dreadful shape. And the Democrats in New York State control the Assembly, the lower house, and now they apparently have won a majority in the state Senate. Yeah, pretty big one too. If yeah, yeah. So that's you mean that's what I mean. The Republican Party in New York State is really at a, a you know the tide is way out at this point. They, uh, they I mean it's. They just, they're not even competitive in most of these races, mm. you know, especially the statewide ones. And the state Senate being controlled by the Democrats, uh, that was the case not that many years ago. And they really kind of messed it up. And it's sort of like they, they get all this power and uh, I don't know, they do dumb things. Yeah. And it tends I mean, they tend to forget about upstate New York, too, which is the thing to worry about if you if you're in this listening area. I mean, they you know, it's a it's very much a downstate. This is true no matter who's in control of the Senate, but mm-hmm. it's more so when the Democrats are. It tends to be very, very focused on New York City issues to the um, 
to the detriment of upstate, which is not, you know, considering that some people consider the population outflow to be a bit of a crisis in upstate, probably not a great thing to have, <laughs> to not have <laughs> yeah. people paying attention to. Right. Yeah. And and so the gains in the state Senate, I presume, were elsewhere because of the, the usual uh, candidates in, or incumbents won in our area, yeah. I, I believe. But there was a woman named Daphne Jordan who beat Aaron Glad for a seat where the incumbent had um, retired. Yeah. Um, and, and Glad had been associated with uh, Andrew Cuomo. So that right. might have worked elsewhere in the state, but didn't work. No, it doesn't. It's not a badge <laughs> of honor in this in this area, especially. I mean, that's a traditionally Republican seat. It wasn't. It was a little bit surprising that that race was as close as it was, and that's probably evidence of that kind of New York State blue wave that didn't materialize in, in other parts of the uh, of the country. In the elections for Congress, what everybody's talking about, of course, is Antonio Delgado was elected over John Faso. Mm-hmm. I think it's remarkable. It is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of money poured into that race, and uh, Delgado was obviously a very attractive candidate. I think Faso... Uh, probably made some mistakes, or at least the Republican Party did, with some of those some of those ads that kind of painted uh, Delgado as a inner city rapper. I think they probably did more to to motivate Delgado's voters than they did to motivate Faso's. I um, I heard Faso make a comment in an interview that he didn't; those weren't his ads. You know, uh, yeah, I know, and, that, and that's that is true technically. But I wonder if he had said, "Hey, pull those ads; they're not helping me here." I'm sure the party would have done it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's. I, the, you know, they have some deference to the local candidate. They don't just sort of run ads, you know, willy nilly. Well, being an older person, I, you know, I, I've known, uh, in a way, known John Faso over the years. You know, as, as we people in media know political candidates, and he was in the assembly a long time. And I remember when he ran against Elliot Spitzer. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he, he lost that and and came back and. Served in Congress. And, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's a you know he's been around a long time. I think most people know him to be a gentleman, to be a you know yeah, a I very mean, nice I, fellow. I mean, he was kind of painted as a villain in most of the attack ads, but I guess that's what attack ads do. Yeah, and that's another thing about um, the uh, election or elections in general. Are the attack ads crucial? Uh, I know with the uh, Delgado Faso race. You know, I don't think there was anybody that I knew that wasn't just so sick of it. You turn on the news at night, and yeah, I know. one after the other, back and forth. Yeah, I, it, it they weren't, and that they didn't work. But I think obviously they do. But I, you know, they work in the short term. But I think over the long term, they do really just lower everyone's uh, opinion of everybody who's in who's in politics. Mm. And, you know, I mean, even if you win, you're you've been you've been tarred and sullied a little bit by what the other guy was saying about you, you know, and I don't think that that ever really goes away. Mm. Um, Back to the national scene with the Republicans uh, increasing, apparently, their edge in the U.S. Senate. That's where Donald Trump really campaigned was for the the Senate uh, races. And he campaigned, you know, he was campaigning about the immigrants coming and, and, and other other things that you could certainly perceive as negative. Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, for for sure. And he also held rallies in you know states like Florida, uh, Missouri, places where you did see the Republicans uh, sneak it out in in surprising ways. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to know how much Trump, how much Trump is responsible for that. He's going to claim full credit, of course. But right. uh, yeah, he 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 weighed in on those races, and I think you know, I think he does have some 
some legit reason to say that he he was a a, a force. Well, there's one other race I wanted to ask you about, uh, a, a local race over in Rensselaer County, where the incumbent district attorney, uh, the Republican uh, Joel Abelov, was defeated uh, by Mary uh, uh, Pat Donnelly, who was the Democratic uh, candidate, and that's sort of seemed to hinge on Abelov having been under investigation by the state attorney general. Yeah, and Abelov has had just a, a, a whole lot of trouble over there. I mean, there have been uh, a number of cases that seem to have been flubbed. Um, there was a real, a real question, I think, in a lot of voters' minds about his competence in that position. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he lost he lost pretty handily, and, uh, you know, Rensselaer County is traditionally pretty red, so that that's a, a bit of a surprise. Hmm. So now we have a, a Democratic mayor of Troy, and we have a Democratic DA. I don't know if that's yeah significant. But. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I mean, the county executive is still a Republican, right? The um, and and Joel Abelov apparently left his uh, after party, you know, the election party before the results were known, and uh, well, I guess maybe he knew what was coming. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, these guys probably have a consensus better than we can. You know, they. Uh, first of all, they have internal polling. They probably can see what's going to happen. But also, you know, they kind of can feel whether the enthusiasm is there or not there. And, you know, he's he's had a rough he's had a rough time of it. We're talking with Chris Churchill, news columnist for the Albany Times Union. Well, let's, let me just ask you generally, how do you think with the, these results, things will go uh, on, uh, on the federal level and on the on the state level? On the federal level, I mean, a lot of that rely is going to depend on Trump. I mean, he. I think when he took office two years ago, he had a real opportunity to kind of expand his base and expand, kind of reach across the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he could be, in some ways, a similar president to Nixon. And I'm talking about the Nixon pre-Watergate, mm-hmm. you know, where Nixon won, I think, was something like 44 to 46 percent of the vote at the time. And then really kind of governed in the middle, kind of was non-ideological in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then just won a sweeping victory in 1972, Trump could have followed that model, but instead he seems to have really uh, focused on kind of um, doubling down on his base and doubling down. He's not; he's done very, very little to reach across and try mm. to win people over. Mm. You know, the, the politics of persuasion has not been his, his politics at all. But he commands the attention. He does. He does, and that's good and bad, I suppose. Mm. Um you know, it, what happens now is, you know, 2020 starts. You know, we're probably, if you're expecting or hoping for a lot of legislation out of the federal government uh, over the next two years, I don't think you're going to see it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think we're looking at more gridlock, and um, I think Democrats will face a lot of pressure from their base to investigate and to think mm-hmm. about impeachment and that sort of stuff, and that'll give Trump a foil. But, I, you know, I think we're looking at probably more partisanship and more um, divisiveness rather than less, unfortunately. What about on the state level? Well, on the state level, that's that's an interesting question because the Democrats in uh, in the Assembly and in the state Senate are going to want to do a whole lot of mm. things that I'm not sure that Andrew Cuomo is going to want to do. Um, you know, the, the, the not-so-secret secret in New York state politics is that he's been perfectly happy and maybe mm-hmm. even encouraged the Republicans to have the Senate, right? You know, work work behind the scenes to make sure that was the case. Um, so they're going to pull him pretty far to the left, and I don't know. We'll see how far left he wants to go. I guess some of that also depends on whether he's running for president. But you know, he's always until the last year or so when he got the Cynthia Nixon challenge, 
and move pretty dramatically to the left, he's always been pretty moderate. Mm. You know, yes. tax, yes. you know, and there are things that he's done that may not survive, like the tax cap. So who knows? Who knows? I, I, he's. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. I want to ask you about the, uh, the story that you've. I think you've had a couple of columns about about the. Uh, Albany family. Three. Three columns. Three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three. Count them. But yeah. uh, an, an unfolding story, as they say. Yeah. I'll let you tell it. Just just saying uh, an Albany family gets a bill after losing their home. How, how did that happen? Uh, it's a very unfortunate situation. The city came on a Saturday morning to demolish the house next door to this family uh, on an emergency basis. Um, they demolished the house in a, in a real in a real hurry, only to discover that this family's home, the, the family I've been writing about, uh, is basically only had three walls. So it was dependent on the structure they demolished. Mm-hmm. And then so once the original structure was demolished, they had to demolish his family's home as well. Um, and this is on Orange Street? This is on Orange Street in the Sheridan Hollow neighborhood of, uh, of Albany, which is you know pretty close to downtown. It's an area where a lot of um, state workers park. Mm. And it's interesting. I've met, I've heard from a state worker who got to know this family from parking in front of their house every day. Right? Yeah. And yeah. it's a large family, or it is a large family. It's uh, two two parents, basically grandparents, retired uh, with a daughter and uh, and six children. Wow. Yeah. So nine people were displaced. And do they have a place to live? Yeah, their insurance company is paying for them to stay to rent a home. Um, but uh, obviously they're very upset, and obviously they don't feel like this the proper care was taken with with their home. Um, they were in the house at the time with Enos, and, and their lives were presumably endangered. Um, the city didn't evacuate them prior to knocking down the uh, the house adjacent to theirs. Um, asbestos was possibly present in that house. You know, the you had workers wearing uh, you know the hazmat suits and everything, and and here's this family just sitting in their house as all this dust is flying in and everything as their as their wall disappears. Mm. And they were sent a bill for the demolition. They were. I mean, that's just standard practice. If the city demolishes your house on an emergency basis, you get you get the bill. This is this kind of the city's way of a making the contractor whole. Um, and so the it was thirty. I think it was thirty six thousand mm-hmm. dollar bill. Uh, I, I think it's an open question whether this family's insurance pays for that. I mean, that's not generally something I would think that insurance would cover, but I, I don't know that much about that aspect of it. And I've seen on your Facebook page back and forth from people, some saying, well, they'll, they'll never have to pay that bill. I don't know about that. No? I don't know about that. I mean, this you know, it's going to be, it becomes a tax, it goes on to their tax bill and becomes a lien. They could lose the property if they don't pay that bill. I don't, they don't have the money to pay it personally. So who, I right. uh, uh, and the city is, has shown no indication to to uh, to not charge for it. So I don't know. I don't know. It's an open question at this point. Do you do you think the administration uh, the, of Kathy Sheehan, the mayor, is is working on this or sees this as a as kind of a human relations problem that they should deal with? Um, you would think so, and it certainly has been a public relations problem. Um. But the city is pretty adamant in saying that they made no mistake, that they couldn't have known this house has had only three walls, which, by the way, most construction people who have talked to me disagree with. They could have known with a little bit of investigative work. Um, the city also says that the family's house was in pretty rough shape and probably should have been demolished, whether or not they demolished the one next to it. You know, If that's the case, um, 
you know, I think what a lot of people question is why this happened so quickly. You know, the city says they got to come a call about the adjacent structure, which had been vacant for 18 years on either, I think it was Thursday or Friday, they demolished the house on Saturday. I mean, it's all very, very quick. Um, if they couldn't, could they have waited a few days and, you know, ensure that the Graham's house, the family's house wasn't also uh, endangered? I, you know, it's, it sure seems like it to a lot of people. Mm. Has like, fundraising started to help them pay the pay the bill, assuming they have to pay it. Now. Yeah, that's a good question. There, there has there not really too much. There is a GoFundMe page, but it um, doesn't seem very active. I, there's been there is some talk from another family member about starting another one. Um, I have to check on that today, but I don't. So far, not not a whole lot. No, but you're right. That would be. I mean, it'd be great if they could pay that bill because otherwise they're going to lose the property. Mm. Let me ask you about the uh, scary uh, limousine uh, crash. Twenty people were killed. The owner of the limo company has been an FBI informant. I mean, this story has so many uh, parts uh, to it. I know. If it was a novel, you wouldn't believe it. You'd... <laughs> right. And uh, and I'm not really personally acquainted with the victims, but you know, Amsterdam is my hometown. Right. Right. Where they uh, came from. We have the mayor of Amsterdam on the program a couple of weeks ago about different things, but. And he explained about how all the connections that happened in a small town or small city, you know, so right. the victims were well known and, and young people kind of starting their lives out. Um, what, what's your take on this controversy? Well, I think it's, I mean, we don't yet know why, what happened. I mean, the assumption is, and it's, it is an assumption, is that something was wrong with the car, which, you know, as we learned was in pretty rough shape and not properly inspected and had a history of, of brake trouble and all sorts of trouble. So the assumption is that the car just, it brakes failed, the car ve- veered out of control down a steep hill and into the uh, the apple barrel. Um, you know, the FBI can, part of it is just, it's fascinating. I mean, this man who owns the limo company is a very controversial FBI informant. He's uh, uh, been involved in cases that have led to at least three critical documentaries. I mean, it's, mm. it's, he's, uh, you know, he's not an unknown person to people who follow that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's a bizarre twist that he's the owner of this company. And, and one of the cases had roots in Albany. It was yeah. The people from Albany that were charged. Right. A mosque down on Central Avenue. Um, it was a kind of a, st- a sting. Some people call it entrapment. And that led to the, um, long, long prison sentences for two people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and he is, out of the country, right? Believed to be. Hmm. I mean, I don't. I don't think anyone. I'm not sure that anyone other than he can say that for sure. But yeah, he's believed to be in Pakistan, and I don't think there's any way he's coming back. And again, as far as we know, or at the last report, the I mean, the state police have charged his son, right? Um, and they're continuing an investigation, and then the National Transportation Safety Board gets the vehicle or gets to look at it. Yeah, I mean, that's. I guess that's the case whenever you have mil- multiple fatalities in a transportation accident that the, the federal uh, federal officials get involved. But, um, I mean, it's just a horrible, horrible case all the way around. The, you know, the stuff with the FBI, it's interesting, but it's, I mean, it shouldn't really distract from the, the tragedy of what happened. I mean, yeah. like you said, in Amsterdam especially, it's a, it's a really, really tough thing. You've been listening to Talk of the Town on Magic 590, also heard on 100.5. Our guest was Chris Churchill, Albany Times Union columnist. Read his columns uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Next week, 
Uh, we have another columnist, but a different newspaper. We'll be joined uh, by Sarah Foss of the Daily Gazette next week on Talk of the Town. I'm Bob Cudborn. <laughs>